Thank you to Greg and to Daphne and to June Pat for those longer than usual readings. I uh, really appreciate that. And thank you for your willingness to listen and uh, sit through it as well. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm delighted to see Sarah back here uh, this morning. Part of Sarah's story, when we got word that she had typhoid, uh, I was up with her mum and dad, and uh, it was a very difficult situation for a parent in this part of the world to be thinking of a child, uh, or grown-up child, in another part of the world. And uh, as we were singing that hymn about, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain, even the Himalayas, you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie, you won't tear down, coming after me. That was Sheila's heart uh, going after her daughter, uh, Sarah, and it's just lovely to see them back again this morning. But what a marvelous example uh, and an illustration of God's love for us that Sheila would go to Nepal uh, to go out of her way to put her program and everything else that was going on back at home to go and chase after her daughter. And I think that's the essence of everything that I'm going to be saying this morning. Um, Sheila's also the inspiration for what I'm talking about this morning. Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. Uh, we were part of a team of 24 uh, in Uganda at the beginning of July, part of a team from Fitzroy, uh, connecting in with a school that we have a relationship with uh, in Uganda. And as you see these children in Uganda who have very, very little, it would take somebody with a really hard heart to look at those children and not have some empathy and compassion and love for them. And as we shared one evening about what was meaningful to us, Sheila just said, could we sing together that song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. And if there was anything that nearly brought tears to me while I was away in Uganda, it was singing that hymn as we thought about those children. So thank you, Sheila, for those two illustrations this morning. Why the Bible? Why is it important for us to understand the Bible and to learn what it says about love? I was just doodling down some of my thoughts, and I came up with 10 different things which I'll go through. Maybe uh, you've got some other ideas as well. The Bible is God's word and tell us God's story. The Bible tells us about our creation, that God made man in his image and saw that his creation was very good. The Bible tells us about the source of sin and evil in our world and God's redemptive plan. Some of what we've been singing this morning about a dark world, about a sinful world, but Christ's redemption and God's redemptive plan. The Bible in the Old Testament through Moses and the other prophets looks forward to a coming Messiah. Jesus used the Bible to declare that he is the Messiah. Jesus declared that we can't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Bible gives us God's blueprint for life and is full of wisdom and practical advice. It is a light to our path in life. The Bible tells us nearly all we know about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's the Bible that tells us everything that we know about Jesus. St. Paul tells us that the Bible is God-breathed and is useful to teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the Bible tells us 
about God's love. Maybe you've got some other things that you've thought about, but those, as I was preparing for today, were 10 reasons why I think the Bible is important for us to read, to consider, and to learn from. So what can we learn from the Bible about the love of God? It's one of my privileges in life uh, to be on the board of Biblica, a Bible translator. Uh, The NIV that we read from this morning and the Bible that's in our pews here is one of Biblica's translations. We have about 60 major language translations around the world. And I'm not a Bible translator myself, but I've started to learn some of the difficulties of translation. For example, the Bible refers in Isaiah to the word snow, or what we translate into English as the word snow. It's said that Eskimos have 50 words for snow. But when we were in Uganda this year, the Ugandans said, we don't have a word for snow. Today's coffee culture has an incredibly sophisticated vocabulary for coffee. Do you want a cappuccino, an espresso, a skinny latte, maybe even a nice caramel macchiato? Sometimes it's easier just to ask for a coffee. The ancient Greeks who gave us the language of the New Testament were just as sophisticated in the way they talked about love, recognizing at least five different varieties. I suspect the ancient Greeks would have been shocked by our crudeness in using a single word to whisper, I love you, in a candlelit dinner. Using the same word love to say, I love chocolate. And using the same word love as a character of God. Very briefly, the five words that the Greeks use for love, eros, which describes a sexual passion and desire. Philia, which talks about a brotherly love. Uh, Storge, which talks about a deep affection that somebody has within their family. Agape, which is not often used by the Greeks, but is very frequently used in the Bible to describe God's love and the love that we should have for God and the love that we should have for other people. In Latin, it was caritas, and in the King James Version, they translated the word charity, which in today's language, love and charity, we may think of different words, but the root uh, was something very similar. Or philotia, uh, which was a self-love. Paul mentions uh, philotia in a letter to Timothy, uh, but he wasn't particularly complimentary about it. Not only did the Greeks have different words which we used to translate into the one English word, love, there are various words in Hebrew, which is the original language of most of the Old Testament. I'm looking at Neville because he's going to correct me on my uh, pronunciation because I don't speak any Hebrew whatsoever. But the first word is ahab or ahab. It's a love usually between human beings. It's a love for a father to his son, between family members, between friends. Interestingly, if anybody, if anybody knows me particularly well, I have a particular fascination with the number 222. So here's my 222 for this sermon. The first time love is mentioned in the Bible, it uses the word aheb and is found in Genesis 22, verse 2. So I've got my 222 into this sermon. In Genesis 22, verse 2, it talks about Abraham, and it's the context of Abraham taking his son Isaac to sacrifice him. So you imagine that sacrifice, that really difficult thing that God has asked him to do, and yet the way in which the relationship between Abraham and Isaac is described is that Abraham loved his son Isaac. That is Ahab. Hesed is a much more meaningful word in the Old Testament. 
It's the word that is most often used for God and God's love. And maybe in English more understood as God's mercy or God's grace. And we'll come back to that a little bit more. And then a third one, raham. Often this verb is used to describe the love or mercy of God that God has for his people. And this one I have no idea how to pronounce. It's something like koshak. In the Bible, this word gives a sense of affection or delighting in someone. So the variety of words in Greek and Hebrew that we translate into the one word love gives us a problem when we try to understand what God's love actually is. What do you think of when you think of God's love? Many people in our society easily connect God and love. Even agnostics would say, if there is a God, he must be a God of love. But what does that mean? Many envision this God of love as a benign, heavenly grandfather, tolerant, affable, lenient, permissive, devoid of any real displeasure for sin, who without consideration of his holiness will benignly pass over sin and accept people as they are. But from the few readings that we had from Scripture this morning, which is just typical of where God's love is mentioned throughout the Bible, there is something about God's love, God's wrath, God's love, sin, God's love, judgment, which are consistently uh, connected together. When Sheila talked about this hymn, uh, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me, so it, it challenged me to go through the Bible to find out the places in the Bible where it mentions God's love, so part of my summer uh, this year has been to do a little bit of an exercise, which I thought was going to be really straightforward, to look at God's love in the Bible. And then I realized how difficult it is, and how broad it is, and how many mentions there are, and it is a really difficult topic. So I'm going to give you a little whistle-stop tour as we go through the Bible and see what the Bible says about God's love. We've read already this morning uh, these words, God is love, but those words, you have to go nearly to the end of the Bible before you read those three simple words, God is love. First John, one of the last books of the Bible. In terms of the Greeks, that is God is agape. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the Pentateuch. Let's go back to the Torah of the Jew. There we find the law of Moses. And the first reference that we get to God's love, we have to jump to Exodus 15. Now, I was a little surprised that I had to go as far into the New Testament or the Old Testament to get to Exodus 15 before we were learning about the love of God. That's only about 1500 BC. It's found in a prayer of Moses and Miriam. God has just rescued the children of Israel from Egypt. God has redeemed them from slavery and led them safely through the Red Sea. It's a call for God's leadership and for him to guide the people to God's holy dwelling. And they acknowledge very verbally God's love. Surprising that we have to go through time so far before we read specifically about God's love. But there are lots of other illustrations that we find right from the beginning of Genesis. Take that story of Abraham and Isaac. That picture of a father who loves a son who was willing to sacrifice him. What does that remind you of? A cross? A father who loved a son who was willing to sacrifice him? I was up in Coleraine last weekend and we went to uh, the Vineyard Church 
And one of the illustrations that they gave last Sunday was of Joseph. Uh, Joseph was given a cloak or a coat, a multicolored coat, as some would say, uh, by his father as a symbol of his love. That symbol of Jacob's love for Joseph also became the symbol of his death. You may remember that whenever the brothers had taken him off and put him into a pit, they made the coat and they covered it in animal blood to send back to Jacob, to say to Jacob, here's the coat that you've given your son that you've loved. The coat, which was a symbol of love, had become a symbol of death. What does that remind us of in the New Testament? A symbol of love, a symbol of death becomes a symbol of love. God's love is specifically mentioned with the giving of the Ten Commandments. We've looked at that this morning in our readings. God's love is part of his redemptive plan and building a holy people. In each of these references in Exodus, God's love comes from the Hebrew word hesed, God's mercy, God's grace, God's covenant loyalty. Hesed is again used a couple of times in Numbers to describe God's love, where God's love is closely linked to the forgiveness of sins in Israel. In the final book of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy, Moses uses the word aheb to emphasize that the Israelites had been chosen by God. So by the time you get to Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, you're in the fifth book of the Bible. It's that far into the Bible before you hear about God's affection for the Israelites. God emphasized in this passage that his love for the Israelites, his affectionate love for the Israelites, wasn't because anything that they had done, but that because they were his chosen people. And we read that this morning. God's love for the Israelites was because he had chosen them. Apart from one verse in Deuteronomy, the 17 verses which deal with God's love in the Pentateuch all relate to God's love to his chosen people, Israelites. I was amazed how few times God's love was mentioned in those first five books of the Bible. But it was also interesting that although most of the references to God's love are to his chosen people, there is one reference of God's love. And God's love is specifically mentioned as God's love for the foreigners within the community of the Israelites. Isn't that interesting? God loves and extends his love to the foreigner within their community. Then we can go through the historical books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. If you were to go through those books and underline every verse that refers to the love of God, you wouldn't use up much ink. There are 10 verses relating to God's love in those books, and all of them relate to God's love for David and Solomon. In Ezra and Nehemiah, as the Israelites are being restored and redeemed from captivity in Babylon, there are five references to God's hesed love for the Israelites. Again, remember the context. These are a people being redeemed back out of Babylon, and God is wanting to restore them. And as part of that redemption and restoration, God is saying, I love you. If you go to Psalms, we've mentioned that David is one of the people in the Bible specifically mentioned for whom God has love. David is prolific in the way in he, which he writes about the love of God. Here is a man who has experienced the love of God, the love of God which has kept him, and a marvelous uh, book altogether. Proverbs has one mention of God's love, 
the proverb writer takes the opportunity to tell us that God disciplines those he loves. Challenging. Then you get to the prophets, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. If you go through them with a pen and underline every reference to the love of God, you will only find nine references to God's love. And all of those references are for the Israelites. Daniel has one reference to God's love, has said, for his chosen people. His prayer begins, The Lord, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. Again, we see the strong connection between love, God's covenant, God's forgiveness, and God's desire for us to be pure. Of the minor prophets, Amos and so on, 12 of them, there is one which majors on the love of God, and that is Hosea. He mentions God's love seven times, using Raham, God's mercy, and Hesed, God's covenant loyalty to his chosen people. Again, all of these references are God's love for his chosen people. When God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach, he didn't say, go and tell them that I love them. He told them to warn the Ninevites that their sinfulness would lead to destruction. When they repented and God relented, Jonah was disappointed. But Jonah recognized God's love. And for one of the few times in the Old Testament, writes of God's love for anyone other than an Israelite. God's love extends beyond the Israelites. And yet, within a couple of hundred years, God has a prophecy which we read from Nahum about his attitude to the Ninevites. Malachi finishes the Old Testament mentioning God's love for his chosen people. He says, I have loved you, God tells Israel. There's a couple of difficult verses in there as well. It says, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. I'll leave that one for Steve to deal with. Turning to the New Testament, what is there about the love of God? I thought on good ground now. Matthew refers three times to God's agape love, and each time is for the person of Jesus. God's love in Matthew is specifically God's love for Jesus. Mark refers to God's love twice, and both references are for God's love for Jesus. Mark does also mention Jesus in when he was dealing with the rich young ruler. You'll remember the rich young ruler had come to him and said, I'm a good person. Um, and Jesus then said to him, go and sell everything that you possess. After Jesus gave that challenge, it says that Jesus loved him. Luke writes about God's love once, and that's about God's love for Jesus. John, a little bit more like David, he's the prolific writer about God's love. Five times about God's love for Jesus, once for the world, probably in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, once for the disciples, and once for believers. John 3.16, let me just touch on that very quickly. It is perhaps the best known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But again, we often don't think about the context, the remaining paragraph in which that is written. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Again, we see God's love as an integral part of God's redemptive plan, now extending beyond exclusivity of the Israelites. Turn then to the book of Acts. Now there is a description of the early church evangelizing the world. This is the early church on location. This is Dr. Luke speaking to Theo, recording what they preached, how they won people for Christ, how they established churches, and how you can go right through the book of Acts. And surprisingly, there is not a single mention of the love of God. They never preached the love of God. And I just think that's really strange. The epistles. In Romans, Paul mentions God's agape love for believers and Israel nine times. Paul's letter to the Romans is one of the major treaties on the sinfulness of the world, that it is a dark place in God's wrath, but God had planned a means of redemption from the beginning of time. And that love, God's love, is focused on the cross. Again, we see God's love is specifically for the redeemed. There are four further mentions of God's agape love for believers in 2 Corinthians, one in Galatians, five in Ephesians, two in Thessalonians, one in Timothy, one in Hebrews. And then we get back to John, the apostle of love. He gets nine mentions in there of God's love for the children of God. First John we've read this morning, what great love the Father has lavished on us. Again, the context of what John writes relates to God's redemptive power, the need for forgiveness, and dealing with sin and for the children of God to grow deeper and purer. John makes a further two mentions of God's love in Revelation. Judah on the way past has one mention of God's love for believers. What amazed me from this journey this summer is the extent to which the love of God is nearly always directed to the redeemed, to those who have already repented and been forgiven. That's true both of the Old Testament and also for the New Testament. So what about the rest of the world? Don't we believe that God loves them too? I am convinced that the love of God extends to those who do not believe, although the references in the Bible are much fewer than I expected. We've read about God's love to the foreigner in Israel. We've read about the God's love to the Ninevites. We've read about God's love to the rich young ruler. We've read about God's love to the world, according to John. And Paul, in writing to the Romans, God's demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And of course, Jesus said he was the fulfillment of the law, which required us to love our neighbor. And I can't see how God would ask us to love our neighbor if he didn't himself love all of the neighbors, all of his creation, which he described as very good. Common grace is the term theologians use to describe the goodness of God to all mankind universally. God's love to all humanity is a love of compassion, but it's a broken-hearted love. God's love is revealed in his constant warning to repent, and the Bible is full of warnings. 
It was difficult to choose passages for us to read about the love of God this morning without it coming in the context of the need to repent, the need to deal with sin, the need to deal with the dark world. God's love extends to the gospel offer of divine mercy. God's love extends to all, but he doesn't love all alike. I don't really struggle with that concept. I love Gillian, my wife, in a way which is very different to loving my mother, in a very different way to loving my son, Theo, in a different way that I love the members of this congregation, to the way in which I love people uh, in this community. God's love extends to all, but he doesn't love all alike. So what have we learned about God's love from our journey through the Bible? God's love is particularly directed to those in his covenant community. First the Israelites, and then those who believe in Jesus Christ. God's love is an expression of his loyalty to us. It's an awesome and lavish love for his children. God's love is an integral part of God's character to redeem us. Compassion, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. God's love expresses his desire to build a holy people. God's love is unselfish. God's love is sacrificial. And what is our response? Through our brief journey through the Bible, seeking God's love, we have touched on God's wrath, sin, condemnation, redemption, forgiveness, repentance, purity, holiness, covenant, loyalty, mercy, grace, compassion, sacrifice. I'm glad I'm not a Bible translator. How do you contain all of that in one word? Have you ever noticed that the Bible doesn't talk about judgment without salvation? It doesn't talk about death without life? That it doesn't talk about wrath without love? doesn't talk about hell without heaven. We live in the reality of death, sin, darkness, God's wrath, God's judgment. Not very popular things to preach about these days. But in God's grace, mercy, love, and compassion, he calls us into a covenant relationship with him. As Steve would say, life in all its fullness. God's love brings life in all its fullness. God's love calls us to repentance. God's love calls us to a life of holiness. God's love calls us to a life of selfless and sacrificial love for God and for our neighbors. Yes, we live in a world of sin and through God's love, he has promised to forgive us if we repent. Yes, we live in the reality of death and condemnation And God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not be condemned, but have eternal life, beginning right now. Yes, we live in the reality that one day we will be judged, and through God's love we can be clothed in his righteousness. Yes, we live in the reality of God's wrath, 
and God's wrath is met by God's love at the cross. Yes, God's love at the cross, merciful, gracious, forgiving, loyal, compassionate, sacrificial, and lavish. What good news. Yes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'd like you to close your eyes just for a moment, and I'd like us to reflect uh, on a song written by Chris Tomlin, and I'm just going to read the words rather than uh, playing it. Just reflect for a moment on God's love in your life. And reflect on the cross which is in front of us. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you, Jesus. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless, where my heart has peace with God and forgiveness, where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you. Here my hope is found. Here on holy ground. Here I bow down. Here I bow down. Here arms open wide. Here you save my life. Here I bow down. Here I buy. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you. I owe all to you. I owe all to you, Jesus. Jesus. Your love ran red. Your love ran red.